Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good day, Slava. Yes, Jonathan, it is a good day. Happy October. Happy October 10th. Happy October 10th. Or something. Happy October <laughs> in general. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what day it is today, so uh, maybe it's the 10th, maybe it's not. I'm not, I don't, I don't really know because uh, time is a construct in my life. Right. Well, if I did my calendaring correctly... This will be dropping on the 10th. Perfect. If the 10th is a Tuesday. <laughs> Otherwise, okay. so happy your, Tuesday? So your confidence is sinking right now. I'm, your confidence is, is being absorbed by this massive dune of sand. And it's the just... The sand of despair and the doubt. The sand of despair and doubt. I like it. You know, we should read Pilgrim's Progress. I haven't read that in years. It's a really good book. We could do that. It's, uh, you just said, you know, the sand of doubt made me think about some of the naming conventions in the different pit stops that Pilgrim takes. Anyway, yep. that's a non-sequitur, i.e. side quest. But let's do a little, uh, let's do a different question here. What's your favorite scary movie? I feel like you're, you're well-pronounced in the scary movie realm. That's sort of a difficult question to answer because I have a few contending for number one. The best way to do it, though, is to just kind of give you maybe a few of the contenders, right? We're going through The Exorcist during October. That's a contender. When I was a kid, the Freddy Krueger movies were really fun. I enjoyed the first one. In my teens going into, yeah, my late teens, The Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. And I know people shat all over it, but people trying to do something completely different with the horror genre, I think they knocked it out of the park. And it's stood the test of time, in my opinion. I also like movies that are strange. And this is why we're reading this this particular short story. Space, psychological thrillers, like The Silence of the Lambs is a psychological thriller. That one's really good. When it comes to horror, I like movies that make you kind of work for it, make you think, or keep you on edge. I'll end with this. The movie that I have rewatched more than any other movie out of the horror Genre is The Shining. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really like the pace. I like the mind screws in it. I like the creepy factor of it. The, it pulls a lot of stuff I like about horror all into one movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. What about yourself? So I'm not a huge aficionado of horror. I just don't get the same pazuzu that you get out of it. Fair enough. But... It's a good question regardless because it's not that I've never seen horror films. It's that they just don't do a whole lot for me. So my question or my answer to the question would be, and I don't know if you're going to let this one slide or not, but would be Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. I don't think I've seen it. Really? Okay. For those who don't know, Alfred Hitchcock is known as the master of suspense. He's early 1900s. He helped create a lot of progress in the film industry as well as storytelling visually. And this movie, Rope, is about 
two men who commit a murder and have a dinner party where the body is underneath the table. And it's super interesting. It's full of suspense. Also, Rope is one of the first, if not the first, because I can't remember my facts correctly at the moment. I'm fading a little bit. Rope is the first film ever to do one continuous shot. So they set the story and the setup to be kind of like a Broadway play. And this this camera that they had to use was the size of two, you know, crotch rocket motorcycles tied together and then hung from a very large rail system. So they could push the camera back and forth through as they're walking through the scenes. But the other thing is, because it was still film, each there's only four shots in the film, but that's because they didn't have the ability to make the film long enough, like feet-wise, to shoot. But they did shoot it in one take, so... There's four cuts in the film, and each cut hits inside someone's like jacket or something like that, and then pulls back out as they walk to the next scene, because it's the only way that he could do it based on the, the limitations of technology. So he gets the credit for the first one-shot film based on this. It's really good. It's less horror, I think, and that's why I was like, I don't know if you're going to let me slide by on this one, because it's more suspense. Very, very good film if you haven't seen it. Rope. I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, I think horror is a malleable, descriptive term. And I say that because you have The Conjuring, you have The Exorcist, which is a demon possession, you have your monster or psychopathic killers chasing you through the through the woods, Halloween, Friday the 13th. You have your torture porn, Saw, Hostel. I will say, though, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for one second because I thought about Saw as my answer, but the first one. The first one specifically because... Yeah, the rest are garbage. I can't remember the second one. I don't even know if I watched it, but I watched the third one, and the third one is definitely torture porn. I just remember the woman who's being froze to death by, like, spritzing her with water, and she's fully naked, and you're like, how is this... How... I just, like, okay. Okay, great. Like, what do you... I I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. But the first one was brilliant. You, You know that was based on a short film? No. These two guys made the short film, and one of them saw so much potential in it, he bought his partner out. And it's a short film. Short films don't get made into things very often. And so then he shopped it around, because this is how the film industry works. You you make a short, you shop it around, and then you find someone to invest in it who's like, oh, yeah, I think that'll make money. Makes it. And, you know, if you're partner number two who got bought out, you probably feel like an idiot. So good on them. But Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then you have your other, you know, horror movies like The Shining, Signs of the Lambs. Although people will argue, and if anybody's going to comment on anything, maybe they'll comment on this episode. People <laughs> will argue ad nauseum on the internet. But if we're just going to talk about horror in Slava's definitions, and it's my podcast, so here's, here's how it works. Horror is, to me, anything that either deals with the supernatural messes with your mind somehow where it's psychological there's twists you not you don't understand what's going on the shining comes to mind and of course anything where there's a monster trying to kill you so to me horrors because there's a wide swath of movies that i would consider horror and i watched enough of what the mainstream definition of horror is too but i've also watched a lot of weird stuff like there's a there's a movie i just watched on youtube at the suggestion of a friend and it's called Emesis Blue. And it's huh. a it's a long movie. It's like an hour and a half. 
it's animated, and it's animated using an engine. Oh, I forget the name of it, but it's the idea. Unreal Engine? No, not not no, not even close. But right. an engine like that. Oh, okay. The premise of the movie is what happens to game characters after they respawn. So what if the respawning process was run by an in-world evil corporation for nefarious means, and it deals with these characters that are respawning, and what happens when the respawn machine breaks down? You in the world don't notice because you get a new character, but what happens to the world, the, the characters in the game world, assuming that they become sentient? So it, it's huh. kind of interesting. But the whole thing is, the point of the, the, me sharing that is, it's very otherworldly. It's very cerebral and weird, and things are going on, and you're not understanding what's going on. But after you watch the whole thing, and you're watching carefully, there are clues given to you throughout the movie, and I guess heavy spoilers. So there's a time loop element to it. There's a horror element to it. Now I don't need to watch it. Neither do you, audience. You can still watch it. No, no, no. You've ruined it. It's, it's ruined. Okay, oh, you all. Then don't, don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I learned something recently about my girlfriend oh. that reminded me of you, which this is oh. not going to sound great because in that it's going to sound like I'm dating you, but whatever. I was telling her about the Cosmere, and then we can get into our, our alternate speculative fiction piece here. I got the Nightblade, the Night Nightblood uh, letter opener, which is not sharp enough by any means to open an, an actual letter, which is disappointing, and I thought about sharpening it, but I don't want to ruin it. Where to complain? Why did I complain? Yeah. All right. I'll uh, leave that in your department. You can complain for us. And she was like, well, explain it to me. And I was like, well, I don't want to ruin it. She's like, well, I need to I need to like have my appetite of the story wet to really want to read it. And so for two and a half hours, I talked to her about the Cosmere. <laughs> and she's like, You're oh, still wow. dating, right? <laughs> well, I haven't showed up on the podcast crying. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're still. Okay. <laughs> she'll, she'll be over Because if you're dating me by this point, I'm dumping you. Oh, good, good. But uh, <laughs> I was like, you just freaking, you probably listen to the podcast and know that if you tell me that, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, and I guess I'll tell you things. But anyway, I just thought it was funny. I was like, this is a trap, but whatever, as long as you read the book, I don't care. Well, I'll be glad if, you, if she reads it. It would be interesting to get her reaction to it as well. Yeah, if she reads Warbreaker, and that's what I started off explaining to her, I texted Spencer afterward, too. I was like, you really don't explain one book in the Cosmere? You explain one book to get into the Cosmere to explain the other 10 books. Fair enough. Because there's 20 Very of them fair. and you really only have so much time. Anyway, here we are. Well, Unruly Venturers, you know what to do before we go off on our adventure. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss a side quest. Now, Slava, we're reading today Stephen King's short story called... Beach World. Yes. But we... We and we've read what two King stories at this point? I think so. Omni's Three. last case. Yep. And once something else. Something else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what we've we've never done, and and so I wanted to uh, share, or I didn't want to share with the audience because I don't know any of this information. So I'm going to be listening here as the audience. But um, we've talked about Slava being a huge Stephen King fan, and it's time for us to learn about Stephen King, his history, his authorship. His, um, does he have any weird nicknames that he calls himself? No. Not what his wife calls him, but like what no. he calls himself. His fans call him the king of horror. All right. Well, That's it a pun fits in his because, name. uh, yeah. I called, you know, uh, not Kubrick. Wow. Um, 
Ashton Kutcher. No. Oh, boy. I've, they've been in the news. Did you know that? Yeah, I heard. With the rape allegations of Danny Masterson. I actually went to college with his stepsister. Okay. Film school. It's a weird family. The Masterson family is a peculiar bunch. Aren't they? She, was, she was kind of rude to me, but Dad that's fine. Anyway, give us a give us a rundown of uh, Stefan Kong. Well, uh, Stephen Edwin King, as named by his mother, also known as the King of Horror, was born on September 21st in 1947. So he's two years younger than my mom. Uh, he's an American author known for crime, fantasy, suspense, science fiction, and of course, horror. Prolific short story writer, short stories and novels combined have sold over 350 million copies of his books. Wow. And many of his works have been adapted into films, television series, and even comic books. And many of those films, television series, are hot garbage, even by his own account. But such is life. He's been involved in music, uh, movies, and like I just said, comic books. Not just his books being made into movies, but he has starred in some movies, most of them adaptations of his books. He has written for movies, and then I, I, I won't be able to remember right now which movies. For the Blue Oyster Club, one of the albums, he has a voice over part in it. And from what I can remember, there's even comic books that he has his hands on. Fingerprints all over. Huh. So King started writing when he was about six or seven, according to stuff that I read and interviews I found, copying panels out of comic books and making up stories. And he was a ferocious reader and also a lover of film, all of which drove his imagination. And the stupid question that all authors get, he gets more than most, I suppose. Where do you get your stories? Where do you get your ideas? And his answer is, bottom line, I just like to be scared. He says that his childhood was pretty normal outside of, you know, dad going for a pack of smokes and never coming back and moving a few times with his mom and being fairly poor as a kid and then even into early adulthood. Life was pretty ordinary, according to King. But he likes to be scared. He found um, he found a box with his dad's stuff once, and in it there was like a scary Pulp Fiction magazine or a comic book. All these things put together, liking to read him, liking movies, him finding this box of his dad's stuff, all fueled his imagination. He just began writing, and his mom let him do it. She fostered this in him, and he, in a recent interview from about two months ago, he gave her a shout out saying. She just let me play with it. She didn't try to squash it or have you tried thinking about becoming a lawyer or something? She just let him let him be himself. King sold his first professional story at 19 called The Glass Floor, which is one of those things that I really like, the, the mind-screwing type of a horror where a guy visits his brother-in-law. Yeah, brother-in-law. Uh, after his sister dies in a weird freak accident in a room of the house, it has a glass floor, and the room has been bolted up, but he convinces his brother-in-law to open it up, goes in the room, and dies himself mysteriously, is pulled out of there like with a rope or something or, the, or a hook, and the brother-in-law plasters up the room again. So for a 19-year-old... Pretty impressive. Uh, pretty impressive. And then... What year was it, that? 
67. Okay. Yeah. Still impressive. I mean, yeah. I know we, we read Edgar Allan Poe and some of the early writers, and getting picked up, whether it's magazines or whatever, at a younger age is, it's not, um, not everyone was just getting accepted as writers. So that's it's very impressive. What really put him on the map was Carrie. Both the book and the movie really took off, and the paperback advance that he got in the 70s was 400,000. That, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember, and maybe it was when I was reading King on writing, and I didn't finish it, cause, but we'd been texting about it at one point a couple of years ago. He threw Carrie in the garbage. Right. He wrote it, and he was like, what am I doing writing about a girl going through puberty, having to deal with her period and being bullied at school? And he's like, and it's not that great of a book anyway. And so he threw it away. His wife saw it in the garbage, fished it out, read it, and said, you should submit this. This is not bad. I believe at this point the book wasn't even finished. So his wife tells him to finish it and submit it. And so he submitted it, made into a hardcover, went to paperback, movie rights, all, you know, pretty, pretty quick succession, and 400,000 which is, I don't know, the equivalent of a cup, I guess a million two or something. I'm, I'm just throwing out numbers. According to inflation, it has to be double that, at least. I think it's more. I'm going to do the math here in a second, but keep going. So, and with that, moved his family into a bigger house. He was able to write full time. His mom, who was uh, at this point very, very sick and still working, him and his brother were able to take care of her. That's what changed King's career forever. And now we know him as who he is. The writer, all things spooky. Two million four hundred eighty thousand two hundred fifty-one dollars and fifty-two cents. Okay, I gotta start writing uh, about uh, girls being, you know, harassed in high school, having telekinesis. But that's <laughs> Carrie too, based on a Stephen King novel by Slava. Based based on real events, which were Stephen King's fake events. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's oh. fantastic. So that that's uh, just a brief history of Stephen King. So that's it for Stephen King. I didn't go too much into it because I didn't want this to be a podcast about Stephen King's history. Just a brief recount of how he got started. I think we could talk a lot more, especially me as a fan. I, I could I could talk a lot more about Stephen King, but let's unpack that a little bit because, as our listeners know, and we've shared a little bit about, about our upbringing, you had a pretty tumultuous upbringing. So, what was it that stuck out to you about King and his writing that really captivated you? For me, King was an escape from that tumult. And the funny thing is, I came across him not because somebody recommended or because I like horror, which I do and did even as a kid, but I saw a book cover of his, and I forget which one it was. This is it's how long ago it was, but I remember picking up a book cover, and it really, really intrigued me. And then I took it out of the library, brought it home, never read it, and then... Fast forward a couple of weeks, a couple of months. I don't know what it is. I'm 12th or something at this point. And I go back to the library, pick up my books. And I go back. I'm like, all right, let me go see what the Stephen King guy is all about. And I remember 
picking up needful things and liking it a lot. And then I remember picking up it and liking it a lot. And I just got engrossed in the stories. Stephen King writes people well. Even when he Mm. gets rightly accused of being a little cheesy or some, uh, some people have accused him of it's just standard, you know, boilerplate kind of stories, right? Like, yep, something happens, guy responds, the good guy wins, that's it. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's true for some stories. I haven't read a lot of his novels for as big of a fan as I am, or even the shorter novels. Most of the stuff that I read has been short stories. And he has a few collections of short stories. And those are the ones that I ate up as a kid that I reread now. But the novels that stand out to me are, are Needful Things and It. Specifically, it more than anything. That's a book that I've read a few times now and enjoy immensely. Right now, why I reread them is the nostalgia because it reminds me of the 90s. It reminds me of the good parts of my childhood. And there's just something about his voice. The way he writes, I find engrossing. I find that I'm captivated by it. Even if somebody can point to a story and say, hey, that, well, that's, that's not really anything out of the ordinary and I'm rereading the shining and I'm finding myself going, eh, it's all right. But really? Yeah. But I like his voice and I like King and it's still enough for me to reread it. So, so interesting nostalgia and this, you know, maybe we should do an episode on this. Maybe this is our 50th episode. We talk about nostalgia because books themselves imprint on us i think based on where we're very are much in life. so so yeah. um just verbalizing that idea that uh maybe we do a piece on nostalgia for episode 50 is kind of a um cheeky meta reflecting on 50 episodes and books nostalgia thing anyway so you're you're reading the shining what is it that's just kind of like blah uh you just worn out the book or i think so because i know the story already well, no, I can't even say that because I've read it numerous times and I read Needful Things numerous times and it being last year. So I don't think I've worn it out. Maybe I'm just have my head somewhere else. Is it possible? And riddle me this because we, before we started this podcast, we talked about like, you know, uh, during the pandemic, it's like, oh, I'm just rereading or re, you know, revisiting all the old stories. And then I, I don't remember if it was you or me who found like that psychology piece that was talked about how when life is too much we will go back to the same camps we were in to enjoy a story because we want to we want to know the outcome before it happens because of the all the uncertainty elsewhere in life and it's a bit of a displacement thing could it be that your life is pretty stable these days there's no real major complaints from when we talk and so you're you're going back to a book that you have deeply, you know, ingrained knowledge of that you normally would go back to in a time of unrest or, or instability in life, if you will. And so it doesn't have the same Pazuzu because uh <laughs> um because it got cold in the room. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh be, because uh, oh, I can't. Um because your your life is stable. Your stability makes the book boring. Yes, no, and maybe. 
Is that is that a fair enough answer? So maybe in response to The Shining, that might be it. No overall, because I have in the last year, while my life is stable and everything's going well, revisited it, for example, if we're sticking to Stephen King. And I am very much that guy that will rewatch certain things because of their imprint on me when I first watched it. And so on the silly end of it, that's not horror or book related, I really love Mission Impossible, like the, the Tom Cruise series. I will rewatch those all day long. I just love them because they're mindless fun. And there are some books that are definitely more serious than Mission Impossible that I will go back to over and over again. And in the last two, three months, preparing for Spooky October and our series that we're doing, which is The Exorcist and then bonus episode of Stephen King. Hey, audience, surprise, that's what we're doing. I went back to specific stories that we picked, but I also found myself rereading the other stories. Like one of my favorite short stories that's not in the list for our Spooky Horror October playlist is The Jaunt. And it's about teleportation. And I won't spoil this. Go read The Jaunt. It's fascinating. It's an hour read. Who who wrote that one? Is that Stephen, Stephen King? Is that one yeah, King as well? Stephen okay. King, yeah. I've reread that three times in the last two months. It's just such a great story huh. to me. So maybe with a shining that's true. Maybe it's worn out its effect. Definitely not with the other Stephen King stuff or even movies that as a kid would be an escape for me which is James Bond. When I was a kid, somebody introduced me to James Bond, so I would watch a lot of James Bond as a kid. Now, as an adult, I like James Bond, but I only like select movies. I don't I wouldn't rewatch all of them. As a kid, I would as soon From as it Russia was on with love. Yeah, yeah, as soon as it was on, I didn't care. It would, Timothy Dalton, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, if it was a Bond movie, I would watch it. Now, I would probably be more selective and there's three or four that really stand out to me that I like. And it's James Bond's and none of them are like mind-altering or philosophical, you know. You know what you're going to get. Juggernauts. You know what you're going to get. In whatever flavor he is, you're going to get a Bond babe. You're going to get a heist or a spy thing. You're going to get a gadget or two maybe. It's good. It's just classic. Yeah, so that's my answer. And my yes portion of that answer is I agree with you. People escape into stories, whether they have great lives, bad lives, they're going through a tumultuous time, or they're having a very relaxing summer by the beach. Reading just is a great escape. Like, And people do it. People do it even when they read, I'm sure, Nabokov of Dostoevsky or Steinbeck, or then they read Daniel Steele. Some would say it's a crime and a punishment. Yes, yes, they would. Some, some would say that. I know a guy who would say that. <laughs> so His initials are... He does have a podcast. Yeah. As <laughs> me. It's me, folks. It's me. He's talking about me. Oh boy. Anyway, let's get into Beach World here. We got Let's do it. We we've been babbling Babylons. Babylon five over here. Uh yeah. Definitely a babbling on. Beach World is a short science fiction story, I would say with some horror aspects by you guessed it, audience, by Stephen King. It was first published in 1984 and then republished in the collection that we're reading titled Skeleton Crew. 
You know what? I, I, I really like the name of the book collection here, Skeleton Crew. I've only read the one story so far right now, but it's just it's it's a fun play on words, I think, is what I imagine based on the, the collection. And again, I've only read the one story, but, you know, if it's a, it's a crew of skeletons, is it a skeleton crew because it's minimal crew? What, you know, the story that we just read had a skeleton crew. Interesting. Yeah. Just it's yeah, no. curious. I've only read the one story, but just the, it's a good title. Or Nightmares and Dreamscapes, one of my favorite. Second, well, no, I, I would put Skeleton Crew as second and Nightmares and Dreamscapes as first and favorite of collections. But anyway, there's a live action version of Beach World that was released in 2015. And then in 2021, there was an animation short made for it that was a silent, meaning there's no no speech in it, by a Russian artist, a Russian woman from, I think, Moscow or St. Petersburg, if I remember. But the way these these things got made, and here's our side quest, King has this thing called Dollar Baby, where an artist can buy his work, the, no, the right to rep- reproduce his work for a dollar. King retains all the rights for everything. And so that's why you can't even find some of these things online because King takes it, puts it on his shelf, says, thank you, great, you can show it at the film festival, don't upload it to YouTube. And that's not King being an asshole, that's just part of the deal where you get to interact with King's work for a dollar and create your own piece with it and then put it in your portfolio. A few of his works have been done that way. Beach World has been done that way from what I counted doing my research Three times for sure. So, the plot of our short story here. 8,000 years in the future, Rand and Shapiro, Federation crew members, Federation unknown, survive a crash on a sand-covered planet. The seductive power of the sand dunes affects them differently. Rand becomes entranced, lost in memories of his childhood, and even starts thinking about and quoting Beach Boy songs. Refusing any help, from Shapiro and any sustenance. No water, no nothing. He's just entranced by the sand. Shapiro, however, finds this mesmerism unsettling and seeks refuge in the wreckage of the spacecraft. While Rand envisions a forgotten civilization beneath the sand surface, Shapiro struggles with his fears. When finally a rescue space arrives, Rand resists and a struggle ensues, revealing that he has a special bond with the sand, which seemingly destroys the android, there's an android, sent by the captain, and it visibly stops a tranquilizer dart meant to incapacitate Rand. Shapira pleads with the captain to leave, but faces suspicion and ridicule. As the sand almost engulfs the newcomer's ship, the captain finally heeds Shapira's pleas. The ship narrowly escapes as a massive hand-shaped sand dune tries to snare it. Rand is left behind and begins to eat the sand as it envelops him. Beach World, everybody. Beach World. So, reading this was fun, but I came in because we talked about doing scary stories for October here. I came in with the wrong understanding but expectation that this was going to have horror elements to it. In, like, the classic horror elements, not, not in the way that they did play out so i was a little bit left longing i think because i was expecting something that wasn't the right expectation which is is what it is that doesn't take away from how good it was but 
it it was just like oh okay interesting yeah well when i chose the the four stephen king pieces that we're doing for october two of them were kind of otherworldly which were more kind of weird you know psychological little <laughs> bit out of this out of this world and two of them were more mainline horror in my yeah. opinion so I, I did that on purpose because not everything has to have monsters and demons. We're doing The Exorcist, and so I thought, hey, for the Stephen King portion of October, how about we break it up into a little bit more of a... Smart man, smart man. Break it up a little bit. Not a one-trick pony, that's for sure. Yeah, so we've got some sci-fi elements. It it almost feels like a like a Stephen King read Dune and went, you know, what if, and then made his own version of it, like the King yep. version of Dune. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it all came out at the same time, kind of within 10, 15 years of each other. So so it could have been elements of it that influenced him, right? Was there a big like ecological study back in the 70s? Like, breaking news, folks. Sand dunes are on the move. Or maybe the Cold War just had everybody thinking we'd eventually be a wasteland after the Russians bomb us and we bombed them to oblivion. Sputnik. It's not a bad assumption. That's for sure. Yeah. But for me, I wouldn't say this is, you know, I mean, I like it too, but I wouldn't say this is like the pinnacle of all short stories ever to do with space. It's a king book. I mean, it's mm-hmm, a king story mm-hmm. and it's still fascinating. It's an odd little space opera, right? From a younger writer's perspective. His narrative voice comes through super strong too. Yeah. It's always still just like this is King's narrative voice. Now, yes. Take us on a short side quest for those who are unfamiliar. What's a space opera, Slava? Just makes me think of the Jetsons. Like, we're going to go on a little tour here. Space opera. Satan Russian to us. Is a subgenre of science (laughs) fiction, Jonathan, that emphasizes more melodramatic space adventures and relationships. Could be something as... um, Oh, Star Wars could be a space opera, right? Because it has, yep. you know, yep. warfare and drama and romance, and it's usually very melodramatic. What's your favorite space opera in the last 10 years? I don't think I have one. I like space horror. I don't care about romance and space. Yeah, well, we read Star Wars, and we kind of said the same thing. Yeah, I just don't care. All right, well, back to Beach World then. Although this wouldn't be a typical... Space opera. I think it is a little bit of an has an odd space opera esque tint to it. Well, I would I would question where's the romance, right? Like, because part of you mentioned with the the description of space opera is that there's romance. I I don't see any romance in this piece. This just seems like a sci fi piece. Fair enough. Beach World still a fascinating little science fiction story by King, and like you said, it has his cadence, his voice to it. Oh, super strong. And that's what, and that's why you like. That's why people, you know, people who love King, they they they're looking for the narrative voice, which is good. Which is you want an author who's consistent, you know. So, remind me, because it's been a little bit since I read the story. It's not like I read it today or anything. When Rand goes out, there's no incident that we could pinpoint in the text. That's like, okay, this is where he starts transitioning into lose grasp of sanity is there because i don't remember there being like a moment for that no he pretty much goes out right away and shapiro has to yell at him 
and calls him a drone head, like, hey, where are you going? And Rand just kind of just walks off, sits down, and begins just looking out into the dunes. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I always try and find these moments with characters and how, um, like, I don't want to call them trigger points, but, like, moments of transition in their character development where it's like, oh, that's the moment when they transition from blank to blank, you know, from where they're at to where they end up or whatever. So I was just looking for that for Rand on this one. But I was I, w- I knew that I didn't know where it was, so I thought I'd ask you. But isn't it more scary or interesting if you land on a planet and all of a sudden your buddy is immediately insane. That's more scary. That There's more of a mind mind meld there than, oh, Rand just stood for three hours without water and went insane. Well, that's not scary. That's called being in the desert and hallucinating. Guys crash. Both are okay. Both haven't seen Grimes, which is the third character who's dead in, the, in one of the halls. And Shapiro's like, all right, we got to get our crap together. We have to get supplies. We have to find the water. We have to prepare for the night. And Rand is just off in La La Land. That's more scary than, yeah. you know, seven pages of exposition on why Rand is insane. It honestly reminded me of that piece we read by Lovecraft. Um, you know what? I don't think you read this one. But there's one where he's on a submarine and there's an idol and everybody yes, starts going. And, did did we read that one together? I read it by myself. Okay, fair enough. Because uh, you, I know we both picked up the omnibus and, and we went through some stuff before we picked uh, different ones. But it that, it reminded me of that, honestly. Yeah, exactly. It's something otherworldly is possessing, quite literally possessing people to do things they normally wouldn't do. It's changing them completely. Yeah. What I got from Shapiro's shock towards Rand is this is unlike Rand. Yeah, and Shapiro's yeah. like, what the hell is going on? What is wrong with you? Now, with Grimes, my impression was that Grimes died on impact. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Well, that's good. Shapiro discovers him obliterated from the impact. Yeah. I think the only question that I don't have answered, and I, I could say that you get a bit of an implied answer from when the other cruise ship comes here, is what are they doing on this planet? Well, they crashed, and the other crew is answering their distress signal. Yeah, I know, but I guess I didn't say this question correctly. Why are they close to this planet that they crashed? Interesting. Right, so... I, I really don't care. I know, and I, I know, but this is <laughs> this is the... We should just call this podcast, you know, the same shit, different day, because <laughs> this, this is what we go back and forth on. It's, you know, I like, uh, I like brunettes and you like... Uh, you know, Martians. I don't know. Gators. Yeah, I like gators. Because you got the gator hat on. But that's that's the thing. Is like I, I want to know. And you know what? I'm having another one of those like epiphanies, right? So I think the reason that I want to know so much. This is not a fun story. But it's a, it's a truly traumatic event from third grade. Oh. Where I was made fun of for not knowing the answer to a publicly asked question about math. Because we're learning math or whatever. And I was, like, working it through in my brain. And this kid shouts, you know, it's 17. What are you, stupid? From the back row somewhere, and I'm sitting in the middle. Uh, which then just makes me cry and then uh, and feel deep shame. Um, Tenth grade was uh, heavy for you. <laughs> okay, no, you said third. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, it wasn't just... tenth grade. It, you know, because tenth grade I was into ninjas and swords and 
probably would have done something that got me arrested. Um, no, I'm being a, a jerk. You, go ahead. <laughs> third grade. And I didn't think about it, you know, because it's just one of those things that happens to you. But now, in my older age, I constantly, like, need to feed the knowledge. And I think it's literally just because of my aversion to shame of not knowing something. Hmm. And so that, I think, translated into how I um, embrace stories where it's like, cool, give me the information, but then weave it into a story. Like, tell me the information. Right? So, so, you know, I'm talking here five minutes ago, and I'm just like, oh, you know, and and, because sometimes I'll talk and I'll ask myself questions at the same time. I'm like, well, why do I need that information? Why is it that that information makes me have less of a good time with this book, book, short story, whatever, than you when you're like, I don't care about that information. And then this you know, memory surface where it's like, oh, maybe it's that, you know? Could be. Could be. Yeah, and for me, not knowing why they were there is completely irrelevant to the story itself, right? What I'm engrossed in is Shapiro's fear and Rand's insanity. What I'm imagining, I'm imagining as I'm reading this, is sand for miles being stuck in a broken spaceship and my buddy Jonathan outside the spaceship mumbling to himself about Sanderson. Yeah. You know, pun intended. That's, uh, uh, and you're that's like, normal. Okay, that's, buddy. You don't need a yeah. desert for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's that a meta joke. Though, if you could have meta meta jokes between friends. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of layers to it. Um, ah, right, see, so... more. More. It keep, keeps coming. All right. Uh, just like the sand. And that's what gets me. Like, they crashed. Who the fuck cares what they were doing? They, they were you know, picking their butthole and hit the wrong button and just, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what happened. That's... You know, I just careened off careened off into the atmosphere. You know, that would even satisfy my information hunger if that was the stupid answer that happened at the end where the captain's <laughs> like, Shapiro, how'd you guys crash? And he's like, well, I uh... wanted to see how my butthole smells. I uh, I was digging into the brown eyed, the one eyed brown. How do they go? the 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 what, single brown eye? I don't know. The big brown eye. I call it I don't the know. anus. It's a story. Whatever. Anyway. No, I get it. But please, I, I was like trying to... to remember what prison felt like. Good God! Wait, you or are you? This is Shapiro no Shapiro. In your head. All right. We we've okay. So no, some of the tell, themes. Tell us your, your story. I've never been to prison before. Although I found out this weekend that some of my friends had that I didn't know had. Are you well, sorry, jail, 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 not prison. They're different. Jail is short term. Prison is long term. Uh, all right. So some of the themes, and it's a short story, so there's a lot of Im, um, implied theme here, is psychological pressures brought on by isolation and distress. I would say. Yeah. Uh, another theme. Or question would be the significance of the sand's seductive power in the story and how it affects Rand and Shapiro differently. Um, Another question that we discussed before we started the episode was Rand having a deep connection with the sand to the point of wanting to die with the sand as opposed to escape it. And then the final one that we kind of drummed up was the mysterious connection that the sand seems to have with Rand and how it protects him. And that kind of goes with question three, where, you know, this being, 
finds this human who crash lands on its planet and then somehow through the ether ends up possessing through seduction or seducing or something like that. Ends up liking him, I guess, which is, you know, maybe good for the sand, bad for Rand, because in in this situation, the way you described it, the sand seems to be sentient. It is in the book. And it seems to know how to manipulate people. It's probably throwing out the same vibes, for lack of a better term, to both Shapiro and Rand. Shapiro's reacting to it completely differently. They even have the same type of daydream about what could have been here before the sand. And Rand is all immersed into this daydream and he's contemplating this almost raw romantic kind of daydream. And Shapiro's like, what the hell is going on? And so to your first question, I think based on a theme we came up with is pressures and despair brought on by isolation. This is how people deal with isolation. Some people just go off and go into cuckoo, you know, banana town like Rand. And some people like Shapiro, they go into survival mode. They are prepared. They, they go and collect water and collect water from every crevice of the ship. And they sit on the ship. They clean out the sand every day out of the ship, like Shapiro does every morning. And they call out a distress signal, and they're ready. When the ship comes, they're like, hey, we're here. I'm the victim. Get me in your ship. Get me the hell out. So, Is that the sand dune? Yes, that is the sand dune, playing the bongos. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you have two pe- two people. Hell's going on. It's been a long day, man. Okay. Well, you're obviously Rand. Uh, I am. I, you know, I am. I was going to ask a question. Have you ever dealt with isolation? Forced isolation? No. Me either. I've dealt with chosen isolation due to, I mean, and I think that's why I feel a little kooky right now. It's just like, it's a long work day. You know, the, the, the fact that you don't see a human for a long period of time. Actually, you know what? We both did deal with a little bit of forced isolation. The pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you're married. You have a wife. So, like, yours yeah. was a little different. We did have a little bit of forced isolation. Now, it's different than, like, true isolation, like solitary in prison. Yeah. People go insane with that. Mm-hmm. There's even rooms made specifically to create a feeling of dread and despair as of being locked in a room by yourself for 23 hours won't accomplish that there's some designs to rooms like lights always on no windows uncomfortable beds or no beds at all they're designed specifically to induce and amplify the distress that one would get during isolation mhm yeah so. but on the on the on the topic of isolation regularly you can see the effects of isolation with your average popu- uh, homeless population. So you don't even mm. need to be in a, hey, there's no humans around, as much as if the humans around you treat you as if you're not there, you're isolated. Yeah, You've, you've been cut off from society. This is very true. It's an interesting point. I don't know what else to add to it, but I think in those situations you might say, that's why some of them act the way they do, disruptively, right, to use a kind term, and maybe why a lot of them form communities like in Las Vegas 
under the the city there are tunnels where thousands of homeless people live mm-hmm. and rarely see sunlight unless they're going out not to touch grass but to maybe you know panhandle and get some supplies then crawl back in to the tunnels right so yeah that's an interesting point and well the other part of isolation and and we're going through the exorcist right now is Reagan was isolated basically she didn't have any friends nope so she made a friend with a spirit and that didn't work out too well for her did it stay tuned for episode 2 dropping next week i think i think that um you know we're we're winding down here what one last question or theme do you want to address here slava before we tell these wanderers to subscribe and tell them to give us their favorite Stephen King book. What about you answering them from your perspective? Because I answered them from my perspective. Why do you think Rand and Shapiro are reacting to this so differently? Is it, do you disagree with me or do you have your own little, uh, little spin on it? Well, I think the implication that you stated regarding the planet being sentient we, we see that the effect of that sentience on two different people causes two different responses, which I think is a clear implication that depending on your personality and or ability to tap into your own will, I think that second statement's a little harder to prove based on such a short story. But, you know, the sentience of the planet affects different personality types differently, which is why one was drawn in to this uh, seductive allure of being coming part of the dune and the other one was trying to like get out is the difference that we see there between the two characters fair enough i think it's just proof of how anything presented to two people oftentimes is responded to in very different ways that's probably the simpler answer yeah that's fair that's fair the way you and i approach certain stories the reasons for it who knows what happened to rand before where he crashes and he's here and he realizes this is probably it, dude. This is all sand. We're dying. And he just immediately shuts down. And that vulnerability, just like for Reagan in The Exorcist, her isolation and her vulnerability and the Ouija board leads to the possession. For Rand, the possession is that's the seduction here. And Rand is susceptible to it or vulnerable to it for reasons that Jonathan might want to know more about in <laughs> Always. Beach World 2. Is there a Beach World 2? No. Oh. There isn't, but that'd be fun, wouldn't it? Re- it would. Re- well, revisit the planet. Fun for some, remains of not Rand. for others. Shapiro should have like lost an arm or something like that and then came back for revenge. Yes. Because losing I, I, a friend isn't enough. Well, are they friends, though? They're not really friends. I mean, they might have been before. I don't know. Who, Who knows? knows? But, uh... There you have it. Isolation and sand dunes. Be careful on those dunes. You might get isolated. I feel like there's an ecology joke in there somewhere. Anyway, that's it for SideQuest. Thanks for tuning in, wanderers, adventurers, unruly adventurers. Be sure to subscribe and uh, let us know in the comments. Either on TikTok, Instagram, or you can just shoot us an email. Uh, But probably best to just do it on Spotify. What's your favorite Stephen King book? And why is it it?